Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast and I have, I was going to say a very special guest, but we've not podcasted in ages, but it's Catherine's here. been a while, hasn't it? Buongiorno. Welcome. I've missed being on the podcast, it's been a few weeks. We have all missed you very much too. Um, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, yeah. We were just, um, before we went live, we were talking about how we're keeping warm and I've got a hot water bottle underneath my jumper. I'm pretty much like live with a hot water bottle attached to me for like the last two weeks, so it's- Yeah, me too, but then I noticed that like, it's actually starting to change the pigment of my skin. (laughs) (laughs) Is it like a dappled? Is it like, it looks like a giraffe kind of thing? Oh my God, there is a bit of a rash, you know? There is a little bit, but it's all, it's like, even if I've not had one on for a little while, I like, will look at my, well, you know, I'll obviously lift up my top for no reason. Just <laughs> look, look at like, my abs. Oh. <laughs> you know, just a little quick ab check. And I'm like, oh, quite red. Quite red there. Oh. Um, might be because, do you use boiling water? I do. I literally like boil the kettle and I just pour mm. it straight in. Yeah. Apparently you're not meant to do that, but I don't see an issue with it. So. If you're cold, if it's not, if it's not like, if it's like lukewarm water, it's just not hot enough. <laughs> no, like you want it kind of burning your skin. So we're going to get a dermatologist, co- like listen to the podcast and come back and be like, you shouldn't be doing this. Stop. Oh, you know what else I think? Um, I think it's changed my digestion a little bit because I'll always be like, I always have it on my stomach. And then when I'm eating, I'm like, mm, actually, it doesn't make me feel great. So I don't know if that also has an impact. Ooh. Maybe we yeah. should do some research. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Helen, I have a question. A question? Question. <laughs> How to make better food choices when you're really busy. If, you, if I have a lot on, I tend to forget about food altogether during the day and then only to be starving at 6pm and then just eat everything in sight. I know I need to correct this, but would like some tips from the coaches on how they plan their nutrition on busy days. Thanks. I think you've like, you've partly answered the question there for yourself by saying like, how do I plan ahead? So I think like that is one key is to take some time to sit down during the week or whether that's like a Saturday or a Sunday at the weekend when you have a little bit of thinking time is sit down, like write out your days or write out your meals for even if it's like the three days ahead i know it can be quite difficult to like plan like seven days in advance for example so maybe just like the next three days um what i find also helps is having a little bit less like variety in say like one or two of your meals in the day so say for example your breakfast maybe that looks exactly the same every single day during the week and maybe your lunches are quite similar as well that makes it a hell of a lot easier planning and also then like preparing doing a food shop 
even just like cooking it say for example you work from home like it's easier if you just know exactly what you're going to go make and then maybe you could have like a bit more variety within your meals and that's where you do a bit more like intricate planning um but that would be like my main tips is like the planning ahead for the week but also reducing that meal variety um yeah reduce the decision fatigue in the day and just be like this is what i have for breakfast this is what i have for lunch i'll have something more exciting in the evening and then you're not getting to the point that by the time you get to 6 p.m you're absolutely starving and then you make poorer food choices i also i mean it this depends on how busy you are like at the moment i took on like i took on a lot right and i thrive with busy but it does mean that there is legit like i have to schedule in and block out time my lunch time because otherwise people put calls in during that time and then i'm like oh i'm literally back to back there's no time to do this so even doing things like that like being really intentional with it i put everything on google calendar everything that is important is on there which means you know there's lunch time on there and do things like that put things like that in and make sure that that stuff is ready and prepped and like it doesn't have to be complicated you don't have to spend hours and hours food prepping you can just be like i'm gonna get in a load of shop bought um tubs of soup for lunch and i'm gonna get in a load of high protein yogurts and then i'm always gonna have fruit as a snack and to go with my breakfast like bam there's your there's your lunch and uh breakfast for the for the days and then like yeah i want to do something a bit different for dinner do whatever you want for dinner but at least you're not like completely forgetting to eat during the day which will end up in the big overeating in the evening so yeah that would be my tip and actually being busy is really good for fat loss like because you don't have time to faff around and overeat you actually have to be quite structured and intentional with your time it actually makes things a hell of a lot easier so see that as like a a positive and then the second part is are there any protein powders that are easier on the digestive system? I don't particularly, I, sorry, I don't have a particularly sensitive stomach, but protein powders really disagree with me. I've tried vegan whey, different brands, and I always end up feeling really nauseated, blo- bloating, and other too much information effects. Is it just me? I do struggle to get all my protein from food, so finding a shortcut for some of my intake would be really handy. Are like whey isolates a little bit easier on the stomach? I think it's meant to be. I think it's it's like kind of individual, but it's it's definitely worth a try. Why Mm. not try it? And it sounds like you've tried a few things, but yeah, whey isolate might be an option there. Or even like mixing your protein powder in with something else. It obviously depends on how many calories you have to play around with, but like you could put, like I quite like mixing like, protein powder into yogurt because then it means that you're not just like drinking a protein shake which can be sometimes a little bit nauseating unless you have like one that you really like remember when Um, I went through that phase of which now I look back is absolutely disgusting but I used to put protein powder and some water I know what you're gonna say cheese I was like oh this is and I was obsessed with it I ate it every single morning for like quite a long time and now it makes me feel quite sick thinking about it what flavor protein powder did you use oh I changed it up though oh. and actually I started getting like I started quite liking having different ones within you know like I'd have like a little bit of a strawberry one and then I'd have a little bit of a like oh. chocolate one I know it got very exciting for me for a while um yeah so I mean I probably wouldn't recommend that but I agree like high protein yogurts or mix it into a yogurt 
or what other things people do like protein pancakes and stuff you could also got into that you could also like have your protein shake with something else like a bit of fruit as well so that you feel like you're eating something at the same time like i just i will sometimes have like a protein shake and an apple i mean i'm not like taking a bite of the apple and having a sip of the protein shake (laughs) you're like catherine (laughs) and an apple living wild um but you could make it more like smoothie like like put some fruit in there frozen fruit in a blender with a protein shake that kind of thing maybe some oats in there obviously it will add some calories but that could be a way that you enjoy it a little bit more um but there are loads of ways to get in more protein like increasing the, the size of your protein servings high protein yogurts a protein bar baby bell apparently like everybody I mean, loves a baby bell like it <laughs> I I don't know why, but I just find it really strange that people eat cheese on it on its own. But I think See, I'm just not I'm not really a cheese person. I oh, normally oh, will like cheese though, I was quite, Yeah, I was gonna say cottage cheese. <laughs> I normally will like put my baby bells in something else. I'm also like starting to burn myself with this hot water bottle, so I'm moving it. <laughs> after our chat but i'll put like in the summer i'll put like baby bells in like a salad like i'll chop them up and put them in a salad all oh, right and, yeah, like, yeah. i mean that's the summer and we're currently not in the summer so that's very you know what's really underrated at the moment soup like i just can't i can't speak highly enough of soup the food volumes there you can't eat soup fast so you've got like the satiety aspect of slowing down and enjoying your meal it's warm so it warms you up it's satiating it's full of veg like come on for the soup like what? you're just really selling it here <laughs> I really feel quite passionate about it actually I used to I think like not many calories it's like like 150 calories for like half a tub like a proper serving I thought like the opposite actually I think it depends on what soup you choose I think yeah, like some soups like, are just not filling not filling and also quite high in cal- you know like mm-hmm. not all soups are created equally and sometimes you get them and it's just like swimming in like oil and fat and you're like "Mm, that's probably not great but then other ones great like a nice thick soup I made a soup the other night and it was like um butternut squash carrots red pepper it was class but it did I mean the calories are probably a little bit higher because I did put like um a bit of creme fraiche in it so yeah no I don't think that would add too much I mean it depends what you mean by a bit (laughs) Like a whole tub. <laughs> I was just eating the creme fraiche. Yeah, okay. It wasn't actually soup. It was just some fresh <laughs> with like a small amount of parsnip in there. <laughs> but I agree. It's it's nice at this time of year to have some soup. Yeah, for sure. Okay, right. Next question. How to make my family more healthy? Oh, a big one. Mm. I don't think you can like make anybody necessarily do anything i think it has to their desire to change has to come with from within like what if they might not want to be healthier they might not want to like exercise or eat healthier um i think the two things that come to mind for me is one the environment especially if you're talking about like this individual has a family like like a youngish family so have kids and often like they just make the choices that are there like they're not doing food shop so like if you've got like healthier quote-unquote snacks available that's what they're going to eat they're not going to eat stuff that's not there so you can have a huge impact just by 
the environment that you, cre you create for them at home in terms of their food environment. And then also I think like the social norms that you instill in your family. So like we're, we're a family that always eat together. Like this is when dinner is like, sure, whatever. We all do stuff all day, but we always come together for dinner and it's healthy and this is what we have. And there's always like a side of veg kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you can instill those kind of habits in your family without like like I agree with Catherine that like you can't force people to change but just by creating that environment plus the social norms plus leading by example like actually that's huge I think probably the biggest thing you can do for you to make your family more healthy is to be more healthy yourself and as a byproduct they will probably be more healthy like there's some research I can't remember the exact stats on it now but like if your partner starts dieting you end up losing weight even if you're not dieting yeah because you just tend to make choices that mean like less takeaways and more like he healthier foods that tend to be lower in calories and you'll end up eating together so the whole family benefits from that um but I think yeah I think leading by example without being like pushy with it and just letting people see how much better you feel and that you're in a better mood and that you're training well and performing well and like feeling good and looking fresh and blah 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 like all this stuff like they'll just probably want to do those things and I think especially with a young family like kids are so easily influenced by what they see and what they see as normal and if it's normal for mum to take time to go to the gym or to take time out or to work out at home or you know whatever you're doing or it's normal that hey if some if if where we're going is less than 30 minutes away we don't get in the car we just walk there like I remember that all the time like when I was young like some of my mates would call their parents to get them to pick them up kind of thing and like a lot of I guess it's just different parenting styles right whereas like if I called my dad to get him to come and pick me up and I was like within a 30 minute walk he'd be like what no like just walk. absolutely not and then I think genuinely because he would never be like oh yeah I'll just come right now it would always be like well I'm doing something so I can come in like two hours I just went out I just walk home anyway oh like it was always going to be quicker for me to walk home than actually get a lift anyway but even little things like that it actually makes a big difference and now I'm the same I'm like why would I drive somewhere if I can just walk there also I don't have a car I was just about to say getting rid of your car really helps with that <laughs> yeah also I don't have an option so that, that's a consideration as well um but yeah I think we we probably underestimate the amount that we're just influenced by the people around us without them having to be like pushy and forceful about it and I think you'll normally get like a negative kickback if you're pushy and forceful like if you nag people probably the worst way to get people to change behaviors whereas if you inspire them probably the best way to get them to change behaviors Absolutely. It's like letting them come to their own conclusion, isn't it? Or like letting them think that they've thought of the idea. Um, I'm like that with my parents because I try to like get them to eat more protein and I have been for like the last few years and just like gently encourage them each time I'm there. And then I'll talk about like, oh, like I've put this in my meal to like get more protein in. And actually, you we made... want a baby bell. Right? <laughs> yeah, just handing out the baby bells. <laughs> last time we made a bit of progress because I actually even got them to buy a bag of protein powder the last time I was there and they have a protein shake every day. And I'm like, oh, yes. That's great. Buzzing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Next question. Uh... Sorry, I'm just looking through. Uh, okay. Can I 
can I just work out to burn calories some days and not lift heavy every time? Hmm. Sorry, so these are now from the question box, so they make kind of less sense a lot of the time. Because they're a bit shorter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think- so this is probably the whole argument of like, we'd normally say don't just exercise to burn calories. Like there's so many more benefits to exercise and actually lifting and resistance training is unbelievably important for your health. But saying that exercise does also burn calories, like, and and I've been thinking about that more recently because I've started doing cardio because it's so freaking cold outside and I don't want to go for long walks. And a lot of the time when I used to go for a walk, I'd also be like replying to messages or something and I can't have my hands out because they just freeze immediately. <laughs> so I'll like go to the gym, I'll do some cardio, I'll probably catch up on like Instagram DMs and stuff, you know, and and like, yeah, part of it is to increase my energy expenditure because otherwise I'm sat on my laptop. Mm-hmm. But it, it, what we don't want to get to the point of is seeing like, there's, there's a spectrum there, right? Of like, hey, I can expend some more energy here because I know I've been sat around all day and, it, and it's movement really. And then there's defining the, like how good your workout was by simply how many calories that you burned, which isn't yeah. useful because you'd end up just doing moderate intensity cardio absolutely all the time yeah no I totally agree with all those points I don't have anything to add um the other thing that made me think of was I had a couple of discussions after I put up that post about back squatting and I'm not gonna lie slightly twinged my back oh no I (laughs) saw it and I was like yeah yeah not bad and actually like the day after was fine but like the next couple of days I was like "Mm." It just made me think it's it's never really going to be worth it for me. So even if I could do that, which obviously I can to an extent, um, and just be very careful with it, you can also stimulate the same muscles on a much safer piece of equipment, like if if you're injured or if you don't want to do that. And I think we we often put things like the big lift or you like you have to squat and you have to deadlift and you have to lift heavy. You can get incredible results never lifting particularly heavy weights but but like pushing yourself to near failure in a completely safe way where you minimize the risk of injury and if you really go back and look at people's goals not just like what the fitness industry think is cool or what's like hardcore and you think this person has come to me like let's say she's a typical client of ours like maybe she's 50 years old she's menopausal um and she wants to get in shape and feel good and make sure that she lives happy healthy life right is squatting and deadlifting the best option for her I would say 100% no unless she fucking loves squatting and deadlifting right because we do have some postmenopausal clients who are like strong as hell and absolutely love that aspect that's a different conversation but if you're looking at solely what's the best mode of exercise to get her those results like you'd put her on the leg press and you'd get her doing leg extensions and you'd keep like the risk of injury to an absolute minimum while you're still stimulating those muscles because her goal isn't powerlifting it's actually like happy healthy life and maybe she doesn't want to have to like even if you just think about the time it takes like if you go up into the gym and you want to do I don't know uh three sets of 10 on the leg press and, and reach failure versus three sets of 10 squatting and reach failure it will take you way longer to do the squatting because you have to warm up properly and not that you don't have to warm up for leg press but it's not quite the same level of warm-up that you need to do 
and you have to you know like rack the weights and put the button then like slowly increase the weight until you're getting to your working sets like it's so much quicker easier less faff involved to use a leg press now before someone takes the words out of my mouth like I'm not saying they're exactly the same they're not but you have to come back and really think about what the goal is for the client because I think it feels to me like a lot of that is being missed with people that whether it's like ego lifting and like I said the enjoyment of those exercises fine that's a completely different thing but if you're really looking at why your client is coming to you they might not ever have to do that those kind of lifts and secondly like if they're relatively new to exercise and you're coaching them online kind of dangerous to have them just jumping in and doing deadlifts when you haven't checked their form properly yeah totally it's a completely different story if they maybe have previous experience in the gym or they have worked with a pt previously or are working with a face-to-face pt in conjunction with the work that you're doing with them online like it's yeah i think it's like a very individual um an individual thing there and like you say like uh the sign of a good program isn't necessarily does it include the major compound lifts like deadlift and squat and bench press like i very rarely will program in like barbell bench press for clients unless they specifically want it in there because like the risk of injury is higher if if you want to like be able to go heavy you might need somebody to spot you and a lot of people won't have somebody to go into the gym with to spot them so i think it's like similar with those other lifts as well i totally agree that yeah sign of a good program doesn't have to have yeah, just thinking of like working around injuries like if you're like yeah there was certainly a time where I was like oh, I'm really actually quite sad that I'll never be able to squat a deadlift heavy mm-hmm. and hey maybe one day like I could if I really wanted to but actually it's not really worth the injury risk for me um and now I'm kind of like well actually <laughs> it's not really that big a deal and I can still get the results that I want I just have to think outside the box a little bit more like your muscles don't know what you know if you're doing a barbell squat or not they know that there's a stimulus on them and they will respond to that stimulus is a barbell squat a great way to create a stimulus a hundred percent but is there other ways to do it yes and like there's always a way to do it you just need to like I said think outside the box a little bit and you could argue as well that like if you still want instead of like leg press and you want to make it more compound and involve like more like balance or core activation you could do a goblet squat or you could do you know like the pre-made barbells that are like five or ten kilos you could use one of those or a sandbag like there's so many options and so many varieties of exercises that we never have to specifically like always include this one thing that's like amazing for everybody do you know what amazes me i was thinking about the other day because the gym i go to now has vipers do you remember them i recognize the name what is it it's like a big tube it's basically like a pipe but with handles on it Mm -hmm. And like, I remember when they first came out and I was working in the Virgin Active and we had like Viper sessions on the gym floor at 12 p.m. every day and whatever. And like, you just have to, for some reason, like do all the normal exercises, but randomly use this big pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Because, but then I was just thinking, they must admit like the marketing behind that is absolutely genius because it's actually not a very practical piece of equipment. Same with kettlebells. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not particularly practical and apart from a kettlebell swing like there's not really that much like that you'd want to use a kettlebell bell for that you can't use a dumbbell for a lot of people get the kettlebell swing like really really wrong as well oh yeah like horrendous wrong (laughs) like the marketing behind those things I'm like wow I think most gyms for a period of time like most commercial gyms in the UK had vipers must be like an incredible business model for what they are 
same with trx like they're just hanging straps like <laughs> but so versatile and and i love them i think trx's are amazing but like the i more mean like the business side of that marketing because you could just make your own like they're not it's not like a particularly novel idea or you know they are literally just like movable straps but every gym has those or most gyms have them very clever yeah the trx's are way more expensive than like non-trx brand versions of trx's it's crazy difference yeah okay i was told yesterday that it takes 20 minutes of any cardio to start burning fat is this true oh something from like where does that come from because normally you think okay that's okay first of all no it's not true but secondly sometimes you think oh that's probably come from some like misinterpretation of science and I guess no you couldn't even really claim that it's like energy systems if you'd said maybe five minutes where you're probably moving more from like glycolytic energy metabolism to fat energy metabolism maybe Maybe. where the 20 minutes comes from I'm not sure like why specifically 20 minutes it's maybe just more like a figure that someone has plucked out of the air as like a this is like steady state cardio and you need to be like at least like doing this on the cross trainer for at least 20 minutes or if not more but yeah I'm kind of like I don't know where that's come from either What's interesting is it probably works for people like mentally because then you're always going to do more than 20 minutes. And well, if I'm, if I'm going to lose fat, I have to do for more than 20 minutes. Then you do it for more than 20 minutes. It's maybe like a nice time frame that, that like bolts onto someone's exercise, like workouts as well. So they do like resistance training and then they maybe do a bit like on the cross trainer for 20 minutes and then they go home. I mean, there's loads of things in fitness like this that in fact, three have come up. So in the last couple of days, that that's one is that actually like the, the reason behind that is not factually correct but actually not bad advice like doing a bit of cardio for 20 minutes <laughs> why not like it sounds like a, a decent amount of time it's not too long it's not too short um although this says that it takes 20 minutes of any cardio to start burning fat so i don't know if that if they're saying you have to do 20 minutes and then you start i don't know but anyway like a 20 minute cardio thing not particularly bad advice same with someone asked me yesterday in fact it was someone on afm said that she'd read something about um, some doctor suggesting that you should eat your veg first and then eat your protein and then eat your carbs. And I was like, I mean, there's no like real rationale for that. I think it was probably the glucose goddess who's like- So I was thinking, yeah. "Yeah, this This is the theory. But if you think about, okay, well, if you started with a salad or guys, a soup in the- in the winter if you started with something like that you're much less likely to overeat on the more highly palatable higher calorie foods so i mean things like having a salad as a starter or having a soup as a starter that kind of slows you down might actually mean that you eat less total calories overall so it's not again not awful advice just not actually the right rationale and then the one that we always hear is like increasing your calories as a form of like reverse dieting to ramp up your metabolism that's not what's happening but actually is the advice to increase your calories really good helpful useful advice when you're trying to over restrict like when you have been over restricting yes so the reason behind it might not be true but actually that advice isn't awful yeah i think like those three points that you described there are like myths sort of sort of myths people 
people attribute them to like physiological changes. They're like, if you do this, then your body will do something different to what it normally does. We're actually like, it changes like your behavior or your behavior is different around it. And that is like the key there. I think with like little things that people do in their diet or with their exercise, it's actually more about behavior than it is about physiology a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. All, almost all of the time, but it is interesting that that those myths or like the thought that there could be something physiological behind it, it makes you more likely to stick to it. Yeah. Um, okay. How do you change food as your coping mechanism? Oh gosh, big question. How do you change food as your coping mechanism? I suppose like, first of all is like exploring like what it is you're trying to like cope with um or what like because like we sometimes we'll use food as like a way to regulate our emotions other people will use like drugs or alcohol or over exercise or like gamble there's loads of different ways that people will deal with their emotions that don't necessarily fall in line with like what they want for like their health or like their long-term prospects or whatever but i think like understanding what it is you're trying to almost like cover up or not explore or like mask is like the first step to kind of then adjusting that behavior once you're like familiar with that you can then try and like change like switch out that behavior with something else or even just take a little bit of time to pause before you do eat for like emotional reasons um yeah what Mm. do you think yeah i totally agree it's it's normally an avoidance thing of like however you're feeling so things like journaling like meditation like coming up with a different coping mechanism if if the only place that you find comfort is food then like what else can you find that's comforting like where else can you deal with those things and then if it's a bit more deep-rooted like you're really trying to avoid thinking about something that was very traumatic like go to therapy Mm -hmm. work through it there with the right support system in place um yeah and then it comes back to kind of like curating your environment again. Like, are you setting yourself up for failure? The We spoke about this on the EIQ Live yesterday, but I think that that has such a big impact on people's behaviours. So we were talking about, um, the I guess, the difference between whether, how to frame this? Like, I think we often blame ourselves too often or put the full blame on ourselves as to why we're overeating or why we're then know might be like taking drugs or over drinking and don't think enough about the environment because it's an interaction between you and the environment and two examples that kind of articulate this nicely I can't I think it was a war in Vietnam and it was American soldiers who a lot of them became or started taking a lot of, I think, again, don't know the specifics of this. I'm pretty sure it was heroin that they became addicted to. But when they went back to America and their families and had, you know, like things to enjoy, like none of them struggled with addiction. It was more the environment of where they were that was the problem. And obviously the access to those drugs, I imagine. And then in a rat study, they looked at giving rats water that was laced with cocaine versus normal water and all the rats that were just left in um cages with cocaine and all became addicted to cocaine whereas the rats that then they created rat park which is like a theme park for rats <laughs> had like other rats in there and there was like stuff to do and they had 
company in there. And those rats were also exposed to water that was laced with cocaine and normal water. And they didn't over consume the cocaine, right? Because they had other things that they wanted to do. They had like distractions in place. And then I know from like people that I know that have been to AA, for example, that it never worked for them until they completely changed their environment. So like they do about in rehab or they go away somewhere and hey, like they got clean for a period of time. They'd come back into the same environment they were in and fall into the same patterns that they were in before they went away. And this cycle would just repeat continuously until they finally said like, I can't come back into this environment. I can't hang around with the people that are still drinking or taking drugs. Like it, I physically can't do it. And now they've been clean for years, but it took completely changing their environment. Now, those are really extreme cases, but if we're talking about food, which, and I'm not saying that food is or isn't an addiction, but any behavior that you're consistently doing, despite the fact that you don't want to do it, like I'm not going to get into the definition of addiction here, but is along those lines of like compulsive behavior. Think about the environment that you're in. Like you don't overeat when there's, there's not food to overeat which I know is like an extreme and kind of obvious, but if you're, you know, filling your kitchen with food that you're most likely to overeat, you should maybe consider not doing that for a period of time. And that's not to say you can't reintroduce those foods, but maybe also in moderation. And like, I don't struggle with binge eating, but I don't buy like big boxes of protein bars because I end up eating way more of them than what I want to eat of them. So every day I just buy one from the shop if I want one. They don't have like a big stash of them at home. And and do you know what? I I know that I could put them at the back of the cupboard and, and not eat them and not think about them particularly. But I'm like, why test myself with that willpower when I could just buy one and then I have to force myself to walk to the shop if I actually want one that much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Killing two yeah. birds with one stone there with your steps and your protein bar. Yeah. I know. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on GLP-1 slash semaglutide for fat loss are they the fat loss injections yeah so like appetite suppressant injections i think like this came out like a while ago didn't it in like a big thing on like social media and within the fitness industry and i think a lot of people like immediately threw their hands up and they were like no like this is like cheating you shouldn't ever like need to or have to use these things it's just like you need to create a calorie deficit you need to move more and eat less but i think in some cases or some like more extreme cases it can be really difficult for people to do that because their hunger is so high like if you have if there is somebody who is very overweight and have a lot of stored body fat then they can become um like the leptin sensitivity can reduce which essentially means that like like they feel more hunger and actually it can be very very difficult or it might even just be very difficult for them to move more because they're carrying a lot of weight and that's just like a massive effort to even go for like a 10 15 minute walk so actually i think like fat loss injections like that have their place in helping people to then create a calorie deficit it can make it a little bit easier for them to eat less and move a little bit more um so i think like on a case-by-case basis they definitely have their place and i think if anybody is thinking of using that they should be like talking to their doctor about it like if you're working with a coach speak to your coach about it um and weigh up like the pros and cons Mm -hmm. yeah i think i actually think for some people and obviously like our opinions almost 
irrelevant here like speak to your doctor about it because it may or may not be right for you um but the research around glp1 like which is the kind of like i'm full up hormone is really interesting and, and some of the results are like phenomenal in terms of the weight loss that's been achieved using these drugs in people that were really struggling before and yeah I I don't think I think for some people it is like an option that should obviously be discussed with their doctor but I wouldn't like I wouldn't um completely poo-poo it and essentially it's not like allowing you to eat whatever you want it's enabling you to stick to a calorie deficit because it reduces your hunger yeah um did I have anything else to say in that I was just looking up there was a study I was looking at on semaglutide semaglutide um anyway you can't see this graph but it's quite an impressive graph you're cutting in and out a little bit but I've just been like nodding along <laughs> oh thanks for the nodding along. I wasn't sure if it was me I think it was me because it came up there in my internet's unstable, but um, okay. yeah. Anyway, um, I do think that, especially in cases where your weight is really impacting your health, it could be a useful drug. And like, especially with conditions like type two diabetes, but again, would be something to speak to your doctor about. Thank you as ever for your time and attention. If you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at esgfitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys.